You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good, I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents The Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. In the 2022 NBA Draft, the New York Knicks select Usman Jang from Bordeaux, France. Usman Jang is headed to the Knicks. Welcome, everybody, to a new show of the Weekend Crunch. Remember, you can listen to the show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Scene Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. As you guys just heard, not happy Nick fans throughout the country and at Brook. Lynn, or you could say the Barclays Center. They were not excited to hear at number 11 the Knicks and their draft pick as the New York Knicks decided to trade out of the 11th pick. And we will get into that just in a few moments. But Speedy Petey, how are you, man? How is everything going? How was your week? It was all right. Pretty normal in comparison to the rest of the times between your birthday and recently my vacation. So it's kind of settled in back to normal. But a little puzzled about the Knicks. We'll see what they end up doing with this crazy draft they had on Thursday night. Wonderful week in sports, especially for all our Knicks fans, us New York fans around the country who are happy about uh, the New York Yankees and the New York Mets, but everything else is just a blur. Everybody was looking forward to this draft and what the Knicks were going to do, and yeah. We have a great show lined up for you guys. Uh, A little bit later in the show, we'll be talking to Cavaliers radio play-by-play broadcaster Tim Alcorn. He'll be joining us again. Fantastic personality. He is the voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers. So we'll get into his thoughts of what they're going to be doing in the draft and throughout the regular season and how well they played and I'm sure he has his thoughts of where Cleveland is going to be in the next couple of years. So we'll have Timmy on very, very soon. Definitely, you guys will love him. Shout out to Chaz. He was in the hospital. Hopefully, he's better. We'll have Moneyline Mania back probably next week. Wes and the crew, they will not be on this week. We will get into the Lightning Series as the Avalanche have a 3-1 lead as John Cooper complains, complains, complains with too many men on the ice. The Lightning are the same team in game number seven in the Eastern Conference Finals that had too many men on the ice on a shorthanded goal, which cost the New York Islanders a chance of winning a Stanley Cup. We will also get into the Kyrie Irving saga over there in Brooklyn, as he has told the Brooklyn Nets he has six teams he's interested to going to. I will tell you what team makes a lot of sense on why and where he should go if the Nets decide to trade him this offseason. We will also get into the NBA draft. We will also get into Rob Gronkowski retiring our thoughts on where he is as one of the greatest tight ends of all time. We will get into Deshaun Watson and his settlement to 20 of the 26 women that are suing him for assault. There's a very good chance Baker Mayfield could be traded, so we'll get into where he might be heading now that Deshaun Watson is playing in Cleveland, where Jimmy Garoppolo could be heading when he comes back from injury as well. Manny Ramirez comments about Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter would just be a normal player if he didn't play with the Yankees. If he played for Kansas City, Texas, or any other team besides the Yankees, 
he wouldn't even be the player that he became. I agree with him. So a lot of sports to talk about. Why don't we get into this New York Nick debacle? And I call it a debacle because the Knicks organization can sit here today and say, we have over 22 draft picks in the next seven years, 11 first rounders and 11 second rounders. Every Knicks fan should be happy. We talk about what the Knicks did around playoff time with Allen Houston, Julius Randle and World Wide West going to a Dallas Mavericks game against Utah Checking out Donovan Mitchell and Jalen Brunson. I understand Jalen Brunson isn't a superstar player. Maybe he's not something that really appeals to other Knicks fans. The Knicks hired Brunson's father to work under Leon Rose and World Wide West to help out scouting players. I sit here today and I wonder, what are the New York Knicks trying to do? You have a player in R.J. Barrett. He is a good player. And I really believe that R.J. Barrett has a great future with or without Tom Thibodeau. I look at Obi Toppin. He showed a lot of growth at the end of this season. Emmanuel Quigley, another guy that showed a lot of growth, even though he's undersized at the guard position. The Knicks have like three or four undersized point guards on this team. And they added another one in the second round in Keel. We look at this team as a whole, and I understand they're trying to get rid of contracts. I love Kemba Walker. There was no reason why you bring Kemba Walker in if you knew he wasn't 100%. And the Knicks knew he wasn't 100%. So what did they do at number 11? They draft this kid dang. Nick fans boo him. But Nick fans usually boo. Chris Tapps, Porzingis was one of them. R.J. Barrett really didn't make them excited either at number three because they wanted Williamson, who went number one. And you're wondering what this organization is doing. As a fan of the New York Knicks, am I happy? I'm not excited. There was a few players the Knicks could have gone after. They could have went after Williams from Duke. He's a good player. Could be a building block to play with R.J. Both of them played for Coach K. Williams played under Coach K for his last career season. I look at this team, and I'm just wondering, what is this organization? doing? Are they trying to build a winner? And I don't want to hear we have 11 first round draft picks in the next seven years because a lot of them are protected first round picks, which means at least four of them could turn out to be second round picks. And second round picks don't do anything for anybody. You cannot sell the New York Knicks fan, well, we got seven years of top end draft stock and we can make trades and we can make moves to make this team better because they haven't done that in the last 40 years. The 90s were a great time because they had Patrick Ewing and John Starks and Anthony Mason and Charles Oakley. Don't get me into Charles Smith because I couldn't stand Charles Smith. And we all know what he did in the playoffs, especially in the finals. This organization has been nothing but a joke, not only to NBA players, but all around the league. They can't buy a number one pick, no matter how bad they are. How many times do we see Cleveland win the draft after LeBron James left? Including drafting Anthony Bennett. (laughs) How many times did we see the Timberwolves win the draft after Garnett left? But the New York Knicks, ever since Patrick Ewing was traded to the Supersonics, has never had any luck in the NBA draft. So you sit here today and you wonder, is Jalen Brunson enough in the offseason that would make New York Knicks fans happy? And the answer is no. Here's the dilemma that the Knicks are going to have right now. Jalen Brunson is a good young point guard. 16.3 points a game, 4.8 assists, 3.9 rebounds. Shoots very well free throw wise, efficient from the field. Now, Luka Doncic gives some attention away from Jalen Brunson. So, 
how many open looks you have with the Knicks, we'll see. But he is a guy that spaces the floor well. But the dilemma is the money, because Jalen Brunson has really only peaked the last two seasons. And in a shortened season, showed something in 2020-2021, potential-wise. So maybe the Knicks are getting him on the upside, but he's going to want a max contract. Are the Knicks going to be willing to give it to him? Is Dallas going to be willing to give it to him, which will force somebody else to match it? Otherwise, Dallas will be able to get him back. So the Knicks have set themselves up, maybe he has a potential for that, clearing $9.2 million of cap space and also forcing the Thunder to pay a portion of the remainder of Kemba's contract as well, who initially buy him out. Now, the Knicks trade, they traded the 11th pick to OKC. They got three first-round picks. Like you were saying, two of them are protected. The Nuggets pick and the Wizards pick are both lottery protected. And they also traded one of those picks in order to get the 13th pick, which they then ended up trading in order to get a first-round pick from the Pistons, from the Milwaukee Bucks. The Pistons eat the contract for Kemba. So in all, they had to trade a bunch of second round picks. They also got some back in exchange from the Thunder as well. And 11 first round picks, 11 second round picks, Leon Rose was saying, in the next seven years. While it's not what OKC has, it's certainly something, assuming that these conditional picks work out. The Knicks are just playing for the future. I guess there wasn't a player they didn't really love. There were certainly some players I would have drafted there. I know they wanted Johnny Davis, who went a pick before that, to the Wizards. I think Oche Obayi, who the Cavs drafted, would have been a nice fit for the Knicks too. A guy that's experienced, a guy that played four years at Kansas, good point guard, good shooter for a national championship team. Also, A.J. Griffin was another guy they were looking at and decided to pass up on who went to the Hawks. But beyond that, they're trying to just stockpile at this point. Hopefully, they do end up making that kind of trade for a top-end player because they can't get one in free agency because James Dolan drives a lot of these players away and they don't want to come to the Knicks. So, they got to find another avenue. Maybe this will work, but it is a big gamble trying to go on this strategy based on these conditional picks. So, a lot of unknowns. Not necessarily bad. We don't know yet, but just a lot of unknowns right now with the state that the Knicks could have been in from where they were last year. The only positive thing that could happen is if somehow they land Donovan Mitchell. And I don't know if that's going to happen. Right. Because they're going to have to do something with Julius Randle's contract. And I don't know if anybody wants Julius Randle, especially the season that he had last year. Now, if he had a good season last year, then the Knicks could move a very good contract. Julius Randle only makes $116 million for the four or five-year deal extension that they gave him. So, I just don't know where this team is. As a New York Knicks fan, I'm definitely not excited. They had a chance to go after Duran from Memphis a big man, if they can't decide what they're going to do with Robinson, at least they have a big man that could play if Robinson is gone in free agency. Now, if it's Nerlens Noel, Nerlens Noel hasn't played in a full year. So that is a scary situation because this New York Knicks team, which preys on defense because Tom Thibodeau preaches that 110% over offense, that is scary when you don't have a distinct defensive player in the middle of the court. So if I was a New York Knicks fan right Right now, I wouldn't be excited. Leon Rose posted something. Why don't you get into what he yep. said after the draft? Last night, we made three trades involving draft picks, which resulted in increased financial flexibility and additional draft capital moving forward. We now have a total of 22 picks, 11 in the first round and 11 in the second round over the next seven years. We have the ability to be active in free agency as well as in the trade market. Our focus will remain to be strategic and thoughtful in our team building, doing it the right way while feeding off the momentum from the end of last season and prioritizing our player development program. Thank you to Knicks fans for your continued support. That's all we're going to hear from Leon Rose for the next year. Because this man hides wherever he hides. In his office, under his desk. Who knows? He lets World Wide West 
appear in the public eye. And that, to me, is just absolutely appalling. When the New York Knicks fan has always been dedicated to their team, they're probably the most dedicated fan out of all the New York teams. The fans just absolutely love their team. To sit back and realize, even though the Brooklyn Nets are in their own little world. They're in an abyss. At least they got two players that are still on the team that can help them win. For now. Who does the Knicks have? R.J. Barrett is an up-and-coming winner. Maybe an up-and-coming superstar. But we don't know. We still don't know what R.J. Barrett is. And don't tell me Julius Randle because he's not a star. So we're sitting here praying that R.J. Barrett becomes Donovan Mitchell? James Harden. A better James Harden. Hopefully he's much more efficient than James Harden. (laughs) If he becomes anywhere like that, then we could talk. And right now he's quoted to be the shooting guard next year. The starting two guard for the New York Knicks. He needs to work on his shot. He's still has problems at the three-point line. The New York Knicks don't know who they are. They don't know their identity. I don't care what Spike Lee says. I don't care what Stephen A. Smith says. He doesn't want to go to another game at Madison Square. I don't care. Maybe Stephen A. Smith and Spike are both jinxes to the New York Knicks. And if they don't show up, maybe the Knicks will start winning. Maybe Spike will try to get his own entrance back. (laughs) Who knows? Maybe they should invite Charles Oakley back. Right now, this team has no luck. They've made all the wrong moves. Trying to trade up for Jaden Ivey, which it was never going to happen. There was no way in hell the Detroit Pistons were going to trade with the Knicks so the Knicks get a possible future star in the NBA. Nobody's going to help the Knicks. Nobody wants to help the Knicks. The only way the Knicks are going to get help is if Bronny gets drafted by the Knicks. And then guess what? LeBron decides to go and play with his son. That's about it. That is the luck the Knicks are going to have to fall into. If Bronny isn't a great player, the Knicks say, you know what? We'll draft him at 10 or 11 or 12, even though he's not as good as where we're drafting him because we know that we're going to draw LeBron to come and play with him. I'm sure the league would love that, too, actually. (laughs) That would be the only way the New York Knicks are going to be any good, as of right now, on a piece of paper. And I don't want to hear Kyrie Irving. We'll get into Kyrie Irving in just a little while. But right now, if you are a New York Knicks fan, you can't be pleased on what Leon Rose had to say. You can't be pleased what they did at the draft. The only thing that could win this offseason is not Jalen Brunson is Donovan Mitchell. That will win the offseason and all the skeptics in all of New York. Because right now, even though the Brooklyn Nets look like a worse mess than the New York Knicks, they're tailing just a little bit behind them. And this is not a good sign. I don't care how many draft picks you have. It doesn't mean they're going to turn out to be anything. The New York Knicks have been proven not to draft right. And they don't get first or second or third picks in the first round. They get one of those guys every 15 years. I don't think the Knicks are ever going to win in any of the top three. They got lucky. They got R.J. Barrett. He looks like he's a player. He's not John Morant. And he's not Williamson. Is he going to be as good as those guys? Only time will tell. Coaching and players that you're going to put around him to succeed. Until that happens, I don't know what R.J. Barrett's going to be, and I don't know what this team is going to be in any type of future when we move forward with this basketball team. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will get into the Brooklyn Nets. Yes, we will. We will get into Kyrie Irving. We will get into his saga of crap and KD now deciding or not deciding on what his future is with the Brooklyn Nets. When we come back, we'll get into that here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World 
Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android. Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Our first segment was about the Knicks. And now our second segment is about the other basketball team in New York, the Brooklyn Idiots. Yes, that's the new name we're going to call the Nets. They're no longer the Brooklyn Nets. They're the Brooklyn Idiots. Because as idiotic as this organization has been in the last two years, with a guy like Sean Marks, who looks like he's Billy King Jr., and he's probably on his way out because he traded away their future for, I don't know, James Harden, who's no longer with them, and the settlement of that James Harden trade is Ben Simmons, I don't know what to say. That would scare me. But not only that... You got a crazy lunatic guard right now that has not shut up since the end of the season. He's been on every podcast. He's been on YouTube. He's been on Twitch. He's been on Instagram. He might as well create his own social media called Flat Earth Media. He might as well be a part of Joe Biden's speech because he seems to be involved with everything going on in the world, including the Earth. But right now, the Nets have a huge problem, and his name is Kyrie Irving. It's not Kevin Durant, but... What it's leading up to is Kevin Durant's departure. Kevin Durant came here. He left the Golden State Warriors, which, by the way, won the NBA championship this year. He left them to go to Brooklyn in New York and win the first New York NBA championship since 1973. And he has done nothing to tell the fans or share with the fans on the future of where this New York or Brooklyn Nets team is going. All I know right now is Kyrie Irving wants a super max contract. He wants to go down as the highest paid player in NBA history. He wants a five-year, $260 million contract from the Brooklyn Nets. If I were the Brooklyn Nets, I wouldn't even come close to giving him that contract. So because the Nets are not settling or giving him what he wants, he wants to be traded. He's demanding to be traded. And the Nets are so fortunate to know who those six teams are. And I'm going to tell you where he fits the best on all of those six teams. We'll go first with the L.A. Lakers. A lot of people think that the Lakers are going to win Kyrie Irving because LeBron James is there, because they won in Cleveland, and that LeBron is the only player that's ever controlled the craziness of Kyrie Irving. But the Lakers are an aging team. Anthony Davis hasn't played a full season in almost two and a half years. Carmelo Anthony signed a one-year deal. He's gone. You have Russell Westbrook, who has one more year left on his contract, and they need to get the hell away from him because he looks like a shell of himself. Then you have a bunch of additional players that are either not going to make the team, going to make the team, bench warmers, whatever you want to call them. This team is practically LeBron and Anthony Davis. And LeBron has already come out and told the Lakers he is not extending his contract until he sees what the Lakers do in the offseason. Or he wants to see what he does in the offseason as far as him being the GM of that organization. So if you're a Laker fan and you think you're going to land Kyrie Irving, what do you have to trade for him? One. Number two, their cap is over the limit. They would have to trade Russell Westbrook and a bunch of other players to fill in the role to give Kyrie Irving that contract or that extension. Unless Kyrie takes that one year left on his contract to be traded 
to the Lakers. Now, he has, I think, $43 million left on his contract. Mm-hmm. He could take that contract, go to the Lakers, and then after next year, get his extension, which probably wouldn't happen because LeBron will probably be out, especially if they don't win. So does the Lakers make sense for Kyrie Irving? No, not even close. So let's go to the Clippers. Kawhi Leonard's coming back this year. Paul George was hurt most of the season last year. They have a pretty good bench. I think their lineup is pretty good. They can win if Kawhi Leonard actually is 100% healthy. Kawhi hasn't played in almost two years. So it's going to take him a while to figure it out. And he's getting older, 30 years old. So how many years does Kawhi have left after signing that five-year deal? Three? Four? Maybe? If he could stay healthy. Paul George? We have seen Paul George want to stay there. Want to leave? Want to be traded? Want to stay? Who knows? Is he getting along with Kawhi? Nobody knows. They have two max contracts. They could, if they move some pieces, make the move for Kyrie Irving. Does anybody think Kawhi Leonard needs another alpha male telling Kawhi what to do on the court when he's the best player on the court? The answer is no. Does anybody think that Kawhi Leonard would want to play with Kyrie Irving? And I'm going to tell you this right now. He wouldn't. So I think the Clippers unbelievably out of reach for Kyrie Irving. The two L.A. teams, the Lakers and the Clippers, absolutely not. No way in hell. So now let's look at the other four teams. The New York Knicks, which everybody thinks the Knicks could win Kyrie Irving. This could change everything. Right now, the Knicks are a mess. To bring Kyrie Irving in the mix, it makes them even in a worse mess. And with everything we've seen Leon Rose say and do, building through his system, and his system is drafting right and making the right moves for free agents, Kyrie Irving doesn't make any sense for the New York Knicks. And by the way, the Knicks can't give Kyrie a super max contract right now because they have their money invested into other players that have been absolutely choke artists. So do the Knicks fit Kyrie Irving? Absolutely not. So the Knicks are out. Now the 76ers. We all know Embiid did not like Ben Simmons because of his big mouth, not wanting to practice, not showing up to games, not being 100% healthy, not listening to the coaching staff, and running coaches like Doc Rivers off the court because of his stupidity. Does anybody think a coach killer like Kyrie Irving would fit with a guy like Embiid? Not a chance. And by the way, James Harden is playing for the 76ers. And James Harden and Kyrie supposedly were not getting along. Kyrie didn't like that James Harden was playing his position and taking up time at his position. And James Harden didn't like that Kyrie was never on the court and never playing at some points of the time that he was there with the Nets. So does anybody believe that James Harden's going to want to play with Kyrie in Philadelphia? Not a chance. So the 76ers are out. Let's go to Miami. Now, Miami would be a great fit for Kyrie. They overpaid Kyle Lowry last offseason. He has two years left on his deal. There's nobody that's going to take that contract, especially his age, his injuries. There's no way. They're going to lose Victor Oladipo to free agency. He looked horrible in the playoffs. Couldn't stay healthy. They have a max contract like Butler. They're going to probably lose Hero because they can't afford him. He's going to go to free agency. He wants to be a starter. They paid their big man out of bio $190 million. He's a max player. There's no way they're going to have room for Kyrie Irving unless they move one or maybe even two pieces to get him. And is that going to be enough? Now, we all know Butler and 
Kyrie wanted to join forces to come in Madison Square Garden and win a championship for the Knicks. That never came to fruition. Jimmy Butler went to Miami, and Kyrie went with KD to the Brooklyn Nets. So why would anybody think that this will work? And Pat Riley does not want Kyrie Irving. He does not want a selfish, no good, smart ass on that bench when he's not playing. Or he's in foul trouble. Or he doesn't want to play defense. Which, by the way, the Miami Heat are one of the best defensive teams in the NBA. So it leaves one team. And the team that I believe makes a lot of sense if he doesn't stay with Brooklyn, which I believe he will. And that's the Dallas Mavericks. They are not going to give Jalen Brunson a max deal. Pretty much made that clear they're not. And that's why the Knicks are trying to swoop in and get this 25-year-old to come and play in New York with the Knicks. Is that a big blockbuster splash for the Knicks? Absolutely not. But you know the Knicks, they'll do anything to bring in a player that's half decent. So if they lose Jalen Brunson, they're going to need a starting point guard. Kyrie Irving makes sense. How about Jason Kidd as the coach? He wanted to play in Brooklyn and not with the Knicks because he grew up a New Jersey Nets fan. Why? Because his favorite player is Jason Kidd. And Jason Kidd right now is coaching the Dallas Mavericks. So that makes sense. And Luka Doncic is looking for that other player that's going to help him move on past the Western Conference Finals and help him win a championship. The players that they had last year, they were not good enough to knock off the Golden State Warriors. And adding Kyrie, who is a playoff player, and he's a good playoff player, he's proven he's won a championship with LeBron James as a big piece of that championship. It makes sense. So if you were to ask me right now, who has the best chance or makes a lot of sense of getting and landing Kyrie Irving besides the Brooklyn Nets? It's Dallas Mavericks. I'm going to take it from a different standpoint. Let's throw the Knicks and the Sixers out of there. I don't think there's any shot in hell that they're going to end up getting Kyrie Irving. I'm going to take it from the perspective of the Nets are going to probably hope for these two teams the most. Miami, for sure, and the Clippers. Because they have the young players that the Nets are going to want back in order to make this work. Now, both of them are going to have to trade some kind of bad contracts. The Heat with Kyle Lowry, the Clippers with somebody like Nick Batum or Reggie Jackson, one of the veteran guys like that. Maybe a combination of them both. But the Nets also might get extra draft picks, in a sense, from that way, which could help them either make a trade for somebody that Kevin Durant wants on the Nets, or could just help rebuild this team and rebuild it naturally, because the Nets are so far behind with all the draft picks that they traded. Now, the Clippers and Heat don't have an insane amount of draft stock. They have a pretty normal amount, but they still might be able to make that if they think that's going to be the missing piece. The Clippers with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, and the Heat with the roster that they have, even if they do have enough time to trade Kyle Lowry. So I think it'll work well for the Nets in terms of getting back what they want. Now, Durant still might force his way out. We don't know. We don't know what that relationship is like. We know Kyrie Irving and James Harden don't get along, so the Sixers thing I think is out. The Knicks I definitely don't want. So I think the Clippers makes a lot of sense, and I think the Heat make a lot of sense in terms of what the Nets would want. I think the Clippers will ultimately end up getting him for two reasons. One, Steve Ballmer's the richest owner in sports. He might give him that contract if they are able to trade Batum or Reggie Jackson or Morris or any of the players that are making kind of max contracts, maybe to make the money work and trade all those draft picks away. Also, Tyron Lue is there. For how long, we'll see, but that's the coach that Kyrie Irving did like in comparison to some of the other coaches hired across the league. So I think ultimately they'll end up getting him. I think Miami would be the best scenario for what the Nets would want in order to try to at least somewhat get valuable assets where they can either make a trade for another star like a Donovan Mitchell or try to rebuild. Here's another reason why I don't think he's going to an L.A. team, the whole COVID situation. If the outbreak happens during the season again this coming year, they're going to force L.A. and New York to get the shots. And he is not getting the shots. So that means he's going to be sitting on the bench, 
or sitting at home until this thing airs up again or disappears again. I can't see him going to an L.A. or New York team if he does leave Brooklyn. I still think he's going to stay with Brooklyn. Brooklyn will figure this out, but it makes a lot of sense with Dallas. Dallas, you don't need shots over there in Dallas. They're one of the more lenient states for going to get the vaccine. I also believe that when you look at the Dallas Mavericks as a whole, as an organization, they're in the Western Conference. The Nets do not have to see Kyrie Irving more than once or twice a year. And that's probably where I think it makes a lot of sense on why he fits better over there. Now, Tyron Lue, that's fine. But Jason Kidd, he would love to play for Jason Kidd. It was his god. It was his idol. It makes a lot of sense on why I think Dallas would be the lead team to get him. And they have the most money out of all those teams to land a max player of Kyrie Irving's talent. So you have to move a lot of pieces to go to the Clippers. You have to move a lot of pieces to go to the Lakers or the Knicks. Yeah, I think the Lakers are Or out Miami. Too. A lot of pieces for Miami. I think the Lakers are now out. I think they would have had to do it before the draft because look at all the Thunder traded just to manipulate to get into the draft and then trade to the Knicks. They traded the three first round picks to the Knicks, which they could have used in order to supplement a three-way deal to the Nets like they were originally proposed. So I think they're out now. I think if Kyrie wanted to be with LeBron in LA, then the Clippers make a lot of sense. They could just play on the other side and just still hang out with each other type thing. But again, are the Clippers going to want to trade away some of their young players too that played well for them this year? They were a lot like the Nets were after they tried to rebuild and had all those second round picks with Kenny Atkinson. The Clippers had a lot of good young players that overperformed and they were able to be a playing team. So I think that's a team that the Nets would want them to make it happen. We'll see on the shot though. You bring up a good point with the vaccine if that'll end up happening. So I think Miami is the best scenario for the Nets and for Kyrie Irving if they want to get some discipline. They can actually sign and trade Jalen Brunson. And Jalen Brunson is not Kyrie Irving, but he's a pretty good point guard to go over there to Brooklyn. So you get your point guard back, and then you can add other pieces. So I think it's a better move to go with Dallas. And Dallas has a lot of draft stock, too. So they, no, it's, it's they, fair. they lose I, one to the Knicks. I don't Knicks think Dallas is crazy. The Knicks, the Sixers, and the Lakers, I think, are out. I think it's really down to these other three teams. I just think the way that those two teams, the Heat and the Clippers, might want to trade some of those bad contracts, it might spawn extra extra draft picks or resources or even just depth players for the Nets that I think they're going to want. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will be talking to Cavaliers radio play-by-play broadcaster Tim Alcorn here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, World Wide Sports Radio Network. We haven't spoken to this guy in a while. It's been two years, and he definitely would love to have a conversation about a little NBA action. We are now talking to Cavaliers radio play-by-play broadcaster, Timmy Alcorn. What's going on, Tim? Hey, it's great to be back with you guys. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely, man. We've been following everything that's going on with you since you've been on the show. We see that you're doing big things, man, and, and we really appreciate you joining us. No, no problem. Glad to do it. NBA draft for the Cavaliers. It's a little bit of uncharted territory from where they've been the past couple of years, where they're up in the top five, last year top three, this year sitting at number 14, but in the end, That's a good sign. That means they made some remarkable progress last year, which, of course, they did. The Cleveland Cavaliers, where do you see the Cavaliers going right now? This draft seems to have a lot of fluidity. And as I mentioned when we first got started, that's a great sign for the Cavaliers. Last year, they were sitting at three. Everybody seemed to know that the top three were going to be Cunningham, Green, and Mobley, with Cade pretty much being that top pick. 
or at least the consensus top pick. And then the Cavs were either going to get Green or Mobley, depending upon what Houston did. So this year, there's so much more fluidity insofar as what the Cavs are going to have options to do at that number 14 spot. I do think they're going to look for somebody that can contribute right away. Because to go from 22 wins to 44 wins last year shows the huge leap that they took. And this is a ball club that's on the cusp of being a playoff team. In fact, they think they should have been a playoff team rather than a play-in team last year. They just got decimated by injuries, especially down the stretch. So the cornerstone pieces are in place. All-stars Jared Allen, Darius Garland, Rookie of the Year runner-up in Evan Mobley. So they're not looking for that blue chip guy that they're going to build around. They've got those pieces. So they're going to look for somebody that can come in and contribute right away as far as just adding another piece to what they've already assembled. So Evan Mobley, Rookie of the Year runner-up, a lot of people thought he should have won. What impressed you the most about his game watching him this year? I'll tell you what, we all thought he was going to be pretty special coming out of USC, but he was even above and beyond what everybody anticipated. As Cavs coach J.B. Bickerstaff said throughout the year, guys, he impacted winning in so many different ways. And when you look at a team that went from, as I alluded to earlier, 22 to 44 wins, there's a lot of reasons why, but certainly Evan Mobley is at the top of that list. When he had to score, and he always seemed to know the moment when he had to score, he was able to do that, get a big rebound, block shots. He would step out and knock down jumpers, even though he was pretty much in that front line as far as an interior guy. But Evan Mobley did everything well. And the sky's the limit for this kid. In fact, I mentioned on an interview the other day, maybe the sky is an understatement. The stratosphere (laughs) is the limit for this kid because he has unlimited potential. I'm biased. Nothing against Scotty Barnes. I watched (laughs) Scotty Barnes play as a heck of a player for Toronto, but I thought Evan should have won it as far as the Rookie of the Year award is concerned. But he will be a perennial all-star. So when you put him with Jared Allen, with Darius Garland, the nucleus of this team is going to be together for a long, long time. He was absolutely robbed. I've been saying that all season. He was the rookie of the year. And as good as Barnes was this year, I think he was even better. He He's going to be a star in this league. I love his size. I love his ability. He can do everything. Not only is he a good offensive player, he can pass. He can play defense. He can block. He's a sensational player. He needs to put on some meat. But I think as he gets older and he fills into his body, he's going to be sensational. Totally agree. Yep. Yep. We are talking to Cavaliers radio play-by-play broadcaster Tim Alcorn. Love him. We had some fun with him last time. We will have some fun before this interview is over. Kevin Love, a guy that over the last couple of years, some people said that wanted to be traded. This year, he'd taken a back seat as a leader of this team, really wanted to be a part of this team, and this rejuvenated, young, offensive team that we saw this year early in the season and really transitioned to almost a playoff team. What do you see the Cavaliers doing in the offseason? Do they move Kevin Love? Does Kevin Love stay there? Where does he go for his future? To me, Kevin Love stays here. I think his leadership role last year was extraordinary to buy in. Into that role, as J.B. Bickerstaff sat down with him before the season and said, listen, we acquired Lowry Marketing, we've got Jared Allen, we've got this kid in Evan Mobley who we think is going to be very, very special, and we think we can further your career and make you a better basketball player in the sense of helping this basketball team by coming off the bench. And for Kevin to accept that and then excel in that role, I I think it showed amazing leadership on his part. And so he really thrived in that role. Guys, the only games that he missed last year were due to COVID. He did not have an injury. He was fresh. He was knocking down shots. And when you take his role along with Ricky Rubio before he had that devastating injury and then was 
was involved in the Karis LeVert deal, for those two guys to come off the bench and demonstrate to this young nucleus, we're willing to do what it takes to win. Kevin Love. NBA All-Star multiple times, NBA champion with the 16 Cavaliers, Ricky Rubio, who really had to be convinced to come to the Cavaliers when they acquired him from the T-Wolves, probably would have been a starter on most NBA teams. For those two guys to buy in and accept the role, that showed extraordinary leadership to the young guys. If these two guys who have been around a long time and could really have complained and moaned about coming off the bench, what, come on. Instead, they accepted it and they excelled in it. So I think Kevin Love really endeared himself to not only the organization, but to the fan base here in Cleveland. Boy, he'd pop off that bench and Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse would come alive. I think Kevin Love has found that role, and he certainly flourished in it. One of the polarizing guys this offseason will be Colin Sexton in order to hang on to him. He's been dealing with a lot of injuries throughout his time. We had Matt Fontana from ESPN Cleveland on twice, and he was calling Colin Sexton kind of like the Baker Mayfield of the Cavs. He's good at times, but always hurt. So what do you think they'll do with him this offseason? If you were the Cavs, would you try to hang on to him and make him the starter? The Colin Sexton situation is certainly the biggest issue as far as the Cavaliers are concerned. I think both sides are very genuine in that they want Colin Sexton to be a Cavalier next year and beyond. I think the Cavaliers are genuine in that feeling, and I think Colin Sexton wants to be a part of this. Keep in mind, he was the very first first-round draft choice after LeBron left the second time. So he was part of that cornerstone that they were going to build with. So he went through a lot of tough times here in Cleveland. That being said, can they reach that agreement? Can they reach an agreement not only on the dollars? I think Colin Sexton, as he has every right to do, is going to look for top dollar, and he feels this is what his worth is. I think on the flip side, you're going to have the Cavaliers saying, From a total business standpoint, here's what we think your worth is. And will they find common ground? Do I think he's going to come back? I don't know. I think he might test that market. He's a restricted free agent. And if he gets some huge deal from somebody out there, now it falls in the Cavaliers' lap to say, do we want to match that deal? Because he's a restricted free agent. So I don't know how it's going to play out. But I do think it's the number one issue on the table for the Cavaliers and then everything else, the draft, free agency, trades, and so forth, that'll fall into place once the Colin Sexton scenario is resolved. LeBron James, there are stories coming out of L.A. that he's not signing that extension until he sees a huge difference in the offseason on making moves and bringing players in. When everybody knows LeBron James is running that organization and the only person that can make those moves is him. So if that doesn't happen, could you see LeBron James heading back to Cleveland? He still owns his house over there. He still loves Cleveland, his hometown. This team is built by young superstars. You have Evan Mobley. You have a guy like Darius Garland. And you have some guys like Karis LeVert and Jared Allen. This is a great young team with great young legs. You put LeBron James there, you're a championship competitive team again in the Eastern Conference. Could you see LeBron James jumping ship and going back to Cleveland? Well, I certainly don't know if that's going to transpire. I said many years ago, long before I got the Cavs job, I would just say to friends and colleagues, I think LeBron will finish his career wherever Bronny ends up. And of course, lo and behold, at the All-Star break here in Cleveland, a few months back, he's talking to a very well-respected reporter, Jason Lloyd from The Athletic, 
And he, in essence, said that. So how that will play out, we'll see. I don't know what's going to happen in Los Angeles. They've got a mess out there because you've got the Westbrook contract and him and AD and LeBron playing together. That obviously didn't work. Mm -hmm. So they've got to resolve that. But I truly believe, I believed it years ago. And when he said it to Jason Lloyd, I wasn't surprised. If Bronny makes it to the NBA, and there certainly are projections that he will be an NBA player, I think LeBron would love to play his final year or two, whatever that may end up being, with his son. So that's how I view it. Whether that's Cleveland, whether that's Dallas, Sacramento, Memphis, who knows? New York? Where Bronny, <laughs> right, wherever Bronny ends up. And of course, that becomes a risk for the team that would end up with Bronny because if he isn't a, let's say, top five elite player, yeah. do you still take him thinking his dad would come with him, but maybe it's only for a year or two. So we'll see how that all plays out. But I've thought that for a long time, that he's going to end up where Bronny ends up. Being that situation where all the fans seem to want him back now. We're a little sour the first time because of the way he left, but everyone has loved him since he came back the second time, and now all these Cavs fans want him back. Would that be an incentive to, one, hang on to Kevin Love because of the connection that they have, maybe even longer than they think, and also maybe even reach on Braun in the draft, even if he isn't like the top five player? A lot of moving parts as far as that is concerned. I don't know if I agree with your assessment that the entire Cleveland fan base wants him back. There certainly is a huge appreciation for what he did, and he wanted to bring a champion to Cleveland. He did that. Second time back, LeBron gets us to the finals four straight years against Golden State. You talk to fans in the area, it certainly wasn't as messy and as angry a departure as it was the first time around. But you talk to fans now, and I think they look at this young core, and they look at this young group that Kobe Altman and Mike Ganzi and a sensational coaching job by J.B. Bickerstaff have been able to grow and cultivate. And I think there's a sense of, man, let's see what these guys guys can do. Let's add a couple of more parts, but we have those cornerstone pieces. So a lot of fluidity there, but I don't think it's a huge consensus that if you were to bring someone like LeBron back, that would just be the overwhelming sentiment. I'm not sure that's the case. Tim, you look at the NBA and how the game has transitioned. These players are making millions and millions of dollars. You have players opening their mouth like Kyrie Irving, throwing himself under the bus on and off the court, saying stupid things. And now you look at some of the young players that are coming into the league that are transitioning the game, making the game better, more fun to watch. When you look at the game and what the game was in the 90s and you look at the game now where you could barely put a finger on a player, do you like the way the game is transitioning into an offensive three-point game? Or do you think that the game should predominantly move back to what it was in the 80s and 90s where it was more of an aggressive face-to-face, I'm-not-your-buddy type of team? Yeah, there were some brawls back yeah. in the 80s and the 90s. <laughs> That's... That was a man's game yeah. back then. And I'm a little bit of an older guy. I know I'm a heck of a lot older than you two. I'm 40. I'm not far off. I used to enjoy those games. It's interesting. Sometimes as I'm calling games, I'm thinking, wow, how many three balls are they going to shoot here? I wonder if that'll be tweaked at some point. I, I know the analytics of it, whether it's doing something with where the line is or how far the line is. You're right. Fans love offense, but do they love offense to the point where a team shoots 35% from three mm. rather than 45 to 50% from two. Do they pass up an easy layup to kick it back out only to see a three ball clang off the rim? So I like the game back in the 80s and 90s. I'm not saying I don't like today's game because I do. I love it. But it's a three ball happy league yes. and it really rules the NBA right now. And I think the NBA, to their credit, is always willing to look at different avenues 
and different ways of improving the game and trying to keep fan interest, make the game a better game. So I'm sure it's something that they're going to explore. I don't have any doubt about that. So we're seeing a lot now with a lot of the teams that have won championships. A lot of them are building more homegrown and less of the big three superstars teaming up together that we saw. And we saw a lot of them crash and burn like the Lakers and the Nets this year. Do you think that kind of philosophy is going to be faded out of the league completely? Or can you see it making a return where it becomes dominant again? I think teams have learned that you can do it organically. You can do it through the draft, through some shrewd free agent signings that it doesn't necessarily have to be the way Miami did it a few years ago with LeBron and Bosch and Wade. You still need a nucleus. Mm -hmm. You still need a big two or three to kind of lead the way. Usually it's three. I mean, going back to the 80s and 90s that we just talked about, you talk about the Celtics, Bert McHale Parrish. Mm -hmm. I mean, those names just kind of roll off the tongue. You talk about the Lakers, Magic Kareem Worthy, Jordan certainly would have been not an example of that. Even the Knicks in the 70s, you had Reed, right. DeBusher, and Walt Frazier. So. Exactly. The NBA is a stars league, but I do think that general managers and player personnel people are realizing that I think the Cavs are a good example of that. You can build from within. It doesn't necessarily have to be just open up the checkbook and, and go make it fantasy league basketball where you go out and just sign guys and, and try to build those teams through free agency. And I think LA is a great example of how that can go horribly wrong because, man, they were just a dysfunctional mess out there this season. As everybody knows, we are talking to Cavaliers radio play-by-play broadcaster Tim Alcorn. Tim, I know you're a music fan. Is there a particular <laughs> artist that you like to listen to? Wow. Are you talking current? Are you talking Whatever. older? I mean, like I said, Tim, I'm an older guy. I like old music too. I'm a DJ. I like music. Yeah. But, uh, well, I did hundreds and hundreds I of could, weddings and parties. I and couldn't so. see you listening to Little Wayne or, yeah. or Little Baby. Absolutely. You listen to them? Absolutely. I'm in the older demos, so I'm a classic rock guy. I mean, I'm a Beatles fanatic. I just love the Beatles, the Stones, that type of classic rock. But I, I certainly listen to the newer stuff and DJ and all those weddings that I did. I had to learn all I'm a huge Bruno Mars fan. I really? Think talent, oh, yeah. I think the talent level of that guy is just off What's the your chart. favorite song by Bruno Mars? Wow. The first song that comes to your mind is Uptown Funk. Remember the time? Yes. With the bird and all that? Mm-hmm. I can hear some of the time in Bruno's song, but there's a lot of stuff of his that I really enjoy. I think Bruno's almost a throwback. Oh, absolutely. The way he likes to bring back the 80s and yeah. is more like 80s type of music and even his new album that came out, it was very 80s-like. His personality brings back the kind of music that we all love. The 80s, 90s type of music, the freestyle type of music that I've always followed and enjoyed listening. DKA and Lisa Lisa. You know, there you so go. I ask you that question because I know I'm not going to ask you to sing on the show. I don't want to throw you under the bus. Ah. I-, I won't do that. Even though I'm very good at doing that to other people we've had. I'm going to ask you three questions about your favorite artist. And I want you to give me a straight answer about what you think the answers to those questions. Are you ready? Okay. I think I'm wading into some dangerous water here, but okay, go so ahead. You, you said you're a Beatles fan, right? Yes. There were four Beatles. Ringo, George, John, and Paul. Yes. Do you remember the other Beatle before they threw him out of the group? There was actually a Beatle that passed. There was Stuart Sutcliffe. Yes. but and there Stuart was... Sutcliffe passed, yes. and then Pete Best was Pete... the drummer yes. that was shown the door. There you go. And, you were right. And Ringo came on board. All right. So yes. you know your Beatles. I do know so, my Beatles. I, I yes. got you over there. All right. Bruno Mars was supposed to be a part of a group 
before he went single. Do you know what group that was? I have to confess, I don't. NSYNC was actually going to come back after Justin Timberlake left. Bruno Mars was a guy that they brought in for auditions before they decided to not bring him in as the lead singer of the group. I did not know that. I'm going to throw you a curveball there, okay? And last question. Bruno Mars, he's been arrested three times in the last past three years. Do you know what he was arrested for? I don't. Do I want to know? Do your listeners and viewers want to know? Confiscating drugs across the border. (laughs) I'm just trying to see if you know you guys. I I probably could have guessed at that and and been correct. Well, I have a lot of respect for Bruno Mars, too, because I actually met Bruno Mars at uh, an event a couple of years ago. I'm a DJ, and I've done a lot of different entertaining events throughout the country and throughout New York State. So Bruno Mars was a very courteous and very nice guy when I met him. So I have nothing but my utmost respect for him. Incredible. Uh, absolutely. Him and Justin. I'm a Justin Timberlake fan. Justin Timberlake. Justin Bieber, too, who right now is dealing with enough stuff of him. He's yes. a talented artist, too, who plays the guitar, plays the drums, plays the piano. Guys like that, it's hard to find that kind of talent that could do all those unbelievable things. So, we really appreciate you joining us. Well, definitely going to get you on a lot sooner than later. We not only respect you as a play-by-play analyst, we respect who you are and what you've grown into as a leader of what the industry is transitioning into. So, we really appreciate everything that you've done not only coming on our show and giving us your time but everything you've done in this industry oh wow well i appreciate that very much i appreciate the compliment and i love what i do i have a passion for it i was honored last week that the cleveland guardians actually had me on doing some baseball congratulations that's awesome that was a lot of fun so i got to go out on their west coast swing and did three games in colorado and three games at just the incredible dodger stadium which was a real lifelong kind of dream come true for me so i love sports broadcasting so and if I. there's anything i can ever do to help you guys or anybody i'm gonna do it been there done that i know what it's like so as they say pay it forward so if you guys ever need a hand with anything i'll be more than glad i'll to hold do you it. up on that offer man we'll All definitely right. be in touch we really respect you and thank you for everything we love you we have so many different broadcasters on the show and when speedy told me that we were gonna get you back on i was like we had a lot of fun the last time mm-hmm. he was on so we really appreciate it you'll definitely hear from me soon thank you tim thank you guys really appreciate it i love being on your show so anytime you want to have me, uh, send the invite and I'll make sure to make it happen. Thank you, Tim. Mm-hmm. All right, sounds good. Tim Alcorn, he is absolutely fabulous. He's fantastic. Great, great interview. This guy is one of the best play-by-play guys in the industry. If you like Iron Eagle, I'm a big Iron Eagle fan. He's a big supporter of our show. He's been on the Sports Lamouts, been on the Weekend Crunch. We really appreciate Iron Eagle. Timmy is as good and as talented as Iron. He's fantastic. Definitely go check him out on social media. He is a fantastic personality on and off the court. One of the best broadcasters in the industry for sure, both for basketball. He said he was doing a little baseball as well. There's some Guardians on their TV network a couple weeks ago as well. And very well connected with the Cleveland fans as well. Really knows a lot about the city and those fan bases. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to get into the Stanley Cup Finals as the Avalanche could be Stanley Cup champions, and I believe will be, when we come back here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9. The LI News Radio Network brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the world's 
Wide Sports Radio Network. Well, Tim Alcorn, he was fantastic. He really was. And I knew getting him on the show, I think a lot of fans are going to get the chance to really learn a lot about this man. He is a fantastic personality, just an awesome person. Definitely, if you missed this interview, you go check it out on our app to hear the replay of the interview. He's fantastic. With the NHL, you hear a lot of people cry. And you heard the Ranger fans after the Rangers got eliminated in the Eastern Conference Finals about the Lightning and that the Weffleweez were the reason why they were eliminated. And Toronto was out to hurt the New York Rangers and the organization. I would have never thought that the Tampa Bay Lightning and their coach, John Cooper, would find a way to make an excuse on why they're losing in this series. In game number four, when it went to overtime, John Cooper wanted to make an excuse on why the Avalanche scored the game-winning goal. And his complaint was there were too many men on the ice. Meanwhile, his team, when the Avalanche scored that goal, when they had six guys on the ice and their goaltender, his team, the Lightning, John Cooper's team, had seven, eight, counting their goaltender, on the ice. And then at the end of the game, after the game was over, when the press were asking him questions and he was finding a way to point his fingers, it's because they had too many men on the ice. Why we lost. And that could cost us the NHL Stanley Cup. I go back as an Islander fan the year before. Game number seven, second period. 0-0. The Islanders on a power play, and the Lightning have a breakaway. They score a goal on Volamov, which becomes the only goal of game number seven in the Eastern Conference Finals, which eventually leads the Tampa Bay Lightning to winning that series and then knocking off the Montreal Canadiens in four games, which, by the way, were the worst team in the NHL this year. <laughs> yep. You sit here now, and if you're an Islander fan, you would not be happy to hear John Cooper complain that the reason why they're down 3-1 to one against the Colorado Avalanche is because there were too many men on the ice. This is the funny part for me. The Lightning, in 2015, their team that lost to the Blackhawks in the Stanley Cup. 2018, their team that lost to Washington in the Eastern Conference Finals and got shut out in both of their Game 6s and Game 7s. Both those years, they led the league in too many men on the ice penalties. And I'm sure there were plenty of other instances they got away with it where the referees didn't notice because it's one of the toughest things to judge. So you're the one now complaining because... Colorado did it. Nathan McKinnon wasn't five feet from the bench when Nazem Kadri initially got on the ice, whatever. You're the one complaining now based on that. So there's two other factors to look at. One, Nazem Kadri has to first touch the puck for Nathan McKinnon to be able to judge the five feet rule, which once he touched the puck, he was fine. He was at the edge of the bench climbing in. You also had another player, one of the defensemen, I think it was Jan Ruda, that was in the same spot trying to climb onto your bench, literally as McKinnon, parallel on the other side of the ice. Nick Paul was getting off pretty legally. He was fine. So both of you, in essence, had six guys on the ice if you want to nitpick on the five-foot rule. So either both of you had too many men on the ice and they're both illegal, or and it's neutral penalties that way, or you're both fine. Five on five. Learn the rule. 
Either way, you have no reason to justify too many men on the ice. The goal was fine. Nazem Kadri broke away. Shout out to him, him coming back in game four after that injury and scoring the game-winning goal. He's just playing on an inspirational level right Which, now. Which, by the way, they said that he was not going to show up in yeah, the Stanley Cup finals. Right. It was going to be a miracle for him to play. And so shout out to him as well. But John Cooper, you have no leverage in this situation whatsoever. Yeah, the hypocrisy from the previous two times I mentioned. How about this? We can replay that goal if you give the island the Stanley Cup from last year because the only reason why you possibly won that game was because of that shorthanded goal that should have been called back because you had seven guys on the ice when you scored. And I think the NHL needs to fix this, especially in the playoffs. You can challenge too many men on the ice in the playoffs. We have seen the NFL change rules because of quarterbacks as they changed the rule now in overtime for Josh Allen, who couldn't get a chance to go and take the ball down the field like Patrick Mahomes did. So if they're changing rules for the playoffs, the NHL should change rules for the playoffs. And I believe that you should challenge too many men on the ice. That is not fair that if the referees don't see it, it counts as a goal and there's no way of challenging it. I think that should be a rule that should be looked at. You don't need a new CBA to change that. The commissioner and the owners need to sit down and look at this situation and figure this out because Tampa Bay has been one of the leading teams in the NHL in the last three years to score goals with too many men on the ice. The way that line changes work, there's a lot of unknowns, a lot of informalities. It's not like a formal substitution in basketball, which could be done on a whistle, or even in football where you get the whole play clock, the 40 seconds, and if the offense substitutes, the defense can sub too, and the refs will give the time that way. The NHL line changes are very informal. They A lot of times it's just one line, three players coming off, and they have to do it in a way that isn't always synchronized too. So it's difficult to be able to make those kinds of judgment calls. That's why, yeah, maybe something like baseball has with the replay monitors. You have something like a green light that flashes for a good line change or a red light that flashes for potentially two men and men on the ice. And that's something that can be called and relayed to Toronto. And maybe Toronto has its own version of that kind of thing, too, to be able to judge something that's too many men on the ice. They could have it like a delayed or known offsides on a potential goal. Like they could challenge it like that. Because right now, the only things that could be challenged are offsides, goalie interferences. And if a stick is too high above the crossbar on a goal, but that's only on a goal. It's not something that they're going to know right away. Now, I give the NHL credit. They're not like we've seen the NFL in the past where they impulsively blow the whistle and stop a play dead outside of maybe some scrums on the net. But still, it is something that definitely can be challenged and should be challenged if that is indeed the case. However, John Cooper, this is not the case. The Avalanche won the game. It was not too many men on the ice. And even if it was, the Avalanche had six. You guys had seven. So right now, it looks like the Avalanche is probably going to win the Stanley Cup. And I remember as they won in three overtimes against the Florida Panthers, my Florida Panthers, as John Van Beesburg versus Patrick Waugh was back and forth, and they swept the Florida Panthers, in an unbelievable Game 4 with both goaltenders, Patrick Waugh and John Van Biesburg, playing out of their minds in 1996 Stanley Cup Finals. So it's not surprising that this young Avalanche team that's been one of the more talented teams in the NHL for the last three years, Joe Sackett has been an absolute mastermind building this team from top to bottom. They have one of the best young defensive players in McCarr in all of hockey and McKinnon and the talent that they have, Kadri and everybody that they have right now on the offensive side of the puck. They've just been sensational. They really have been. So shout out to the Colorado Avalanche. 
position. I definitely want to see the Colorado Avalanche succeed and win this Stanley Cup. As far as the Rangers are concerned, there are stories coming out. Chris Drury is very upset at Panarin on what he did throughout the playoffs. Now, I don't know what's going to happen this offseason. Panarin is making $12 million a year. He's one of the highest top four or five players in all of hockey. I think in certain years it's going to go up to 13 and a half. So. And last year broke the assist record in a season for a New York Ranger. He had over 90 points, even on a bad season. And that's a bad season for Panarin. But Panarin did not have a good playoff. And he did not show up against the Tampa Bay Lightning in that series. And when you look at... The Rangers and what they're paying this guy to play at the top of his game in the most important time when you need him to step up and put the puck in the net, he just never showed up. I don't know if the Rangers are going to be able to move that contract. I know he's a great player, but he's turning 31 before the season starts next year. And also, you look at Kreider, 50 goals. Are you going to see Kreider do that again? Probably not. You have to decide on getting younger at those star positions. Now, you're going to say they're one of the youngest teams in the NHL, and they are. But right now, you can get a lot for Chris Kreider. And if you can move Panarin, you can get a lot back for Panarin. So you're in a really good position. You have one of the best defensemen in the NHL, young defensemen in the NHL. You have one of the best young goaltenders in the NHL. You have a rebuilt kid line. If you bring back Kako and with Lafreniere and Keto, that could be a force for a line for the Rangers for many, many years to come. So I think the Rangers are positioned very, very good with some of the young players. And even Miller, they have players. But they need to figure out what they're going to do with the veteran players. I think you have some players that you want to keep on this team. I just don't know if Panarin fits where this team's going to be in the next couple of years. Now, again, being that they got to the Eastern Conference Finals, they don't have to make any kind of like overreactionary type things. Yes, Chris Drury has every right to be disappointed about the way Panarin played in the playoffs because not only was he flawed defensively like he usually is, he also looked hesitant, which is not like him and not like what you would want to see out of a veteran player. Sometimes you saw that with young players, Kapo, when he first entered the league, definitely was not confident in his shot a lot of the time. You even saw that with Barzal in his second year. Like, sometimes he wouldn't shoot. He would pass up a good shot attempt and try to dangle or try to pass. You're not expecting to see that with Panarin, who's a veteran player, a guy that's been in the league for eight years. And that's a little bit of concerning. So hopefully maybe it's just a mental thing with him, playoff well, because he's had good playoffs in the past. Now, he didn't have a big role with Chicago. He was a third-line, sometimes second-line type player with them. So he wasn't going to showcase himself like Kane and Taves were and hosts on those Stanley Cup teams, but he had a good playoff with Columbus. Stretches where he was good for the Rangers, but nothing special in the playoffs yet. And that's a big problem when Kreider played well in the playoffs. Benajad had a 10-game point streak in the playoffs. So it's not like you had a bad line that you were working with. These are two of the most talented players, not overall in the playoffs, but overall for the Rangers. So that's a big mental thing that I think Panarin will have to overcome. I wouldn't try to trade him right now, unless you could get like really an insane haul, but I really don't do that. I told you last show I would not trade Kreider, because he does bring under thing. Yes, I don't expect him to score 50 goals again, but he passes well. He hits well. He's good a good leader. Killer. We yeah. all know. Shorthanded. He, he great leader. Top five player shorthanded goals yep. this year. So he has all the intangibles that you need, but I think that being that he, he had his best season, you can get a lot back. You can get an overhaul back for him. Teams would be interested in bringing in a leader and a guy that could put the puck in the net and could do all the other intangibles that they're looking for. So I think you move with Kreider and Panarin, but I don't know what Drury is planning to do going into the offseason. So that'll be interesting moving into the draft after the season is over. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will get into some Major League Baseball. The New York Yankees, hot, 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 like last week. And the Mets, 
hot, hot, hot. Guess what? You have Jacob DeGrom coming back in the next two weeks, and then you have Max Scherzer could be back by the end of the weekend. So if you're a Met fan, you should be very excited. They're right now on top of all of the National League as the best team in the National League, and they haven't had a full-strength rotation since the beginning of the season. Now you're going to have your dream come true starting rotation with Jacob DeGrom, Max Scherzer, and Bassett, and maybe... Luis Castillo. The Mets are interested in him. So when we come back, we'll get into that as well as the Yankees here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks. My co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the L-Line News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, World Wide Sports Radio Network. We are not having Moneyline Mania tonight, being that our Moneyline Mania leader, Chaz, has been sick. He's right now in the hospital. So our shout-out to Chaz hopefully gets better, and, and we'll have him on, him and his team, Wes, and all the Johns, and Hector Back on next week. They've been dominating. If you guys aren't listening to our betting segment, Moneyline Mania, well, you're missing something. You're missing an opportunity to make some good money. They've been 83% right since we brought them on. They had two maybe bad weeks, and ever since then, they've been absolutely dominant. They've been unbelievable. Wes had that bad first NBA week, but made up for it with his Warriors championship that he was bragging about last week. stupid (laughs) shimmy. Anyway. So why don't we get into some baseball, and this New York Yankee team has been absolutely, absolutely unbelievable. They're the only team that has 50 wins right now in all of baseball by seven games. They're 52-18. and 18. The closest record to the Yankees are the Mets, who are 45-26. and 26. The Yankees have been absolutely dominant the last 25 games. The last 10 games are 8-2. Their rotation has an ERA under three. Their bullpen has an ERA a little bit under three. You look at this team, and Aaron Judge, who has been absolutely spectacular, absolutely, and the game winners since the season began, they have nine walk-off wins. Rizzo has been unbelievable. Giancarlo Stan, since he's come back from his injury, has been unbelievable, and their leader, Aaron Judge, who is looking for a big-time contract in the offseason, where we said there's no way in hell the Yankees are going to give him more than the $216 million that they offered him. Right now, leads the league in home runs, second in RBIs, second in OPS, and he's batting over 300. How many big power hitters in the outfield are hitting over 300? Not many. He hasn't struck out as much as he has over the last couple of years in the first half. He has been unbelievable. He is the MVP of the league. When everybody's trying to compare Paul Goldschmidt or Pete Alonso trying to win a National League, there's nobody even close right now in the American League to Aaron Judge. Not even close. This man right now is on his way to hit over 61 home runs, which he'd be the first player not doing steroids <laughs> to break Roger Maris's home run record in a season, which is 61. Yeah, if you even judge the MVPs from the American League, even to the National League, the American League probably has the top three overall in comparison because Goldschmidt has a great average year, 340, 17 home runs, 61 RBIs, but 17 is not the power number the judge has, or even somebody like Jordan Alvarez or Jose Ramirez that are in the American League runnings right now. Even Rafael Devers, even though the Red Sox have been struggling, have been in the mix, but Aaron Judge is the best by far in the American League, which says a lot in comparison to the National League, guys. It's just insane the numbers he's put together. 1.037 OPS this year, 304. 
404 batting average, 379 on base percentage, 27 home runs, just insane. And yeah, even the strikeout numbers, yeah, he's probably on pace for about 150, but we've seen him get 200 in the past too. So even that's down for the numbers you want to see him have. He's playing a lot of center field this year. He's hitting 300. There's no flaw in his game right now. It's unbelievable. And we didn't think that he was going to get that money. And and I think the Yankees are going to pay this. They're going to pay the contract that he wants. I don't know what he's going to get. Maybe he's looking for 250 million. I don't know if he's going to get 300 because of his age, but he's going to get a lot of money and he's going to probably be the highest paid yearly player in all of baseball by the end of this season. And if it's not the Yankees, I would say other teams will be lining up offering him that kind of money. I think somebody, other team will definitely give him 300 million just because of the big name. But here's the thing you have to judge now because the Yankees do have the best record in baseball by far. How much has that changed Aaron Judge's mind to maybe say, all right, I'll take $15 million less to stay with the Yankees at that point. The Yankees will have to give him more than their initial offer of the seven-year $213 million deal, for sure. But the Yankees still might be able to get something in their price range at this point. Now, the news came out yesterday that they were able to settle for an arbitration for this year of $19 million. Okay, but that's not what he's going to want. He's still going to want that seven-year contract. He's going to want 43 to $44 million a year, and that's probably what he's going to get as yeah. an everyday player. Now, the only problem right now is injury, and he has not been injured for the last two years. He played almost a full season last year, and this year he's on his way to play 160 games this year. He has been as good and as healthy as you want your best player to be, and he is their leader. He's been the face of the team and one of the faces of baseball. There is no flaws is on this team right now. Trevino, they brought this guy, and he yeah. might be the starting catcher in the American League right. in the All-Star game. He's been unbelievable. Right now, the Yankees probably have about five All-Stars on this team, and that's not counting their rotation in their bullpen. They might have two guys from right. their bullpen and two guys from their rotation that could make the All-Star team. It's an unbelievable story right now. And by the way, again, I'm going to say it. All the people trying to run Aaron Boone and Brian Cashman out – Everybody, every Yankee fan should reach out to Brian Cashman and the Yankees organization and apologize because Brian Cashman has been nothing but a genius since he's taken over this job. It is a joke what any Yankee fan has put this guy down and said that he doesn't know what he's doing. He didn't make a move for Max Scherzer. He didn't have to. Right now, their rotation is on a record-breaking pace with whip, ERA, strikeouts. They have three guys that have almost 70 strikeouts. A piece. So I don't know why anybody thought that this team wasn't going to compete amongst the league's best. Everybody thought they were a top five team before the season started. Nobody thought the rotation was going to be as good as they are, but nobody thought that Nestor Cortez was going to have another season as he had in the second half last year. And I always believed Taon was going to be a good player. This guy was a top three pick in the draft from Pittsburgh. He just didn't really develop. And ever since he's come over there with the Yankees and he's played with his best friend in Cole, I think it's just revived him. And he has been... me, the best pitcher for the New York Yankees, Speedy. I always like Tyone, too. The one I'm surprised at has played as well as he has is Severino. I thought with the injuries that he had and losing velocity, I thought that would hurt him a lot. And Montgomery, too, with all the injuries he's had. Those are the two I've been most surprised at. I always like Tyone. I always like his stuff. Cortez, we definitely saw what he did at points during last season where he looked like he was the best pitcher on the Yankees. And Garrett Cole's Garrett Cole. 3.14 ERA right now, but that should go down probably in the mid-twos by the second half of the season for sure with the stuff that he brings and 103 strikeouts this year, which is very impressive. Well, we all know by the end of the season, he will be up for a Cy Young. Anybody that thought that Garrett Cole wasn't going to have a good season is a joke. Now, has he had bad games? Yeah, and a lot of pitchers do. And then he has games he wouldn't give up an earned run in three of them. And then he'd have a bad game where he'll give up five. Right now, now, Jamison Tyone is 
eight and one with a three point nineteen ERA. He's got sixty three strikeouts. His WHIP is one point one one four. He's been unbelievable. Everybody keeps thinking Nestor Cortez, but even though wins don't mean anything, every time. Tyone has been on the mound. He's been on the mound 14 times. He's won eight and only lost one. That's remarkable. The Yankees are going to have to decide. He's only done this for a year and a half, so I don't think a team is going to overpay him. But the Yankees are going to have to give him a significant contract. I'm paying Aaron Judge, and Luis Saverino's a free agent after this year. Cortez's first arbitration is next year. The, the Yankees, Yankees have three years to make it work. They could lose Saverino yes. in the offseason. Right. So it's going to be very interesting as the Yankees move forward this year. They need to win this year, especially the way they're playing at a top level and with the pieces they have all together. As far as the Mets, you Met fans should be very, very excited about this team. Why? Because right now we're going into 70 games into the season. We're almost halfway through the season. And the Mets are 45-26, and 6-4 and four in their last 10 games, and they're the best team in the National League. Without their star pitchers and Max Scherzer, who's missed about four weeks, and Jacob DeGrom, who's really missed the whole season. Both players are in line to coming back before the All-Star break. Max Scherzer could be by, by the end of the weekend, and Jacob DeGrom could be back in two weeks. You finally, as Met fans, will get the opportunity to see this pitching staff on what Steve Cohen believed the power the firepower he was going to have in this rotation with Jacob DeGrom as your one, Max Scherzer as your two, Bassett as your three, McGill as your four, and Carrasco as your five. And there are stories coming out right now with the Mets and the organization is that they're interested in Luis Castillo from the Reds. A lot of teams are, but right now the Reds could be looking to move on from Castillo, being that they're 23 and 46, and he is a big piece that they can get back a significant hole for. The Reds might be desperate at this point, too. So maybe a team like the Mets could swoop in and get him for maybe less than expected, too, because there were rumors the Reds were going to trade him last year, too, when they were trading everybody else. And during the offseason, after the lockout, they were purging assets. So at this point, Mets might not have to trade him for as much. Now, is that the target I would want? We'll see, based on the injuries. I think it's not something with Scherzer coming back right now and DeGrom coming back probably in a couple weeks that I would be rushed to do. But if there are other injuries, too, we've seen McGill get hurt certain points. We've seen Carrasco have injury issues in the past, too. So definitely something to keep your eye on, maybe as an option for that later. We saw the Mets do that three years ago with their other pitchers still intact, trading for Stroman once Syndergaard got hurt. Kind of an overreaction thing. Now, is this regime different? We'll see. But it's something that I still think the Mets should favor a bullpen move first or a versatile type guy, maybe a couple versatile type guys to help the depth rather than go for the star power. As far as their team and their roster, Pete Alonso right now, you could say he's either the MVP or the runner-up for the MVP in the National League. Paul Goldschmidt is having a sensation. Yeah, I probably slightly favor Goldschmidt. He's right been now. unbelievable, yeah. and if you look at his numbers, they're just absolutely stand out. Now, Pete Alonso's numbers stand out too. 20 home runs, 66 RBIs, 29 base on balls, 63 strikeouts, 279 batting average, 357 on base percentage, slugging percentage, 546. His numbers are fantastic, and Pete Alonso has definitely been the best player offensively for the New York Mets. And Francisco Lindor, who's playing better, he has a 247 batting average, he has 12 home runs, definitely better than he was last year, and 56 RBIs, which is absolutely amazing. Amongst the top five leaders in all of the MLB in RBIs, it's crazy to say that as a shortstop. So they're playing great baseball right now, and they're getting great offense from so many players. Even Sterling Marte's having a career season. He has 36 RBIs and seven home runs, eight stolen bases. He's not going to have 100 stolen bases like he had last year, but he's also (laughs) fighting injury. I expect him to have 30 or 40 stolen bases. So this team, Speedy, has been unbelievable. Lindor, like you were saying, fourth in RBIs in the 
the major leagues right now. Alonzo leads the league in RBIs. I would still favor Goldschmidt right now for the MVP just because of a 340 batting average. He has leads the National League second in baseball in OPS right now. So I probably would slightly favor Goldschmidt, but Alonzo's more home runs, more RBIs. He's definitely not far behind. And you see the leadership he brings to that infield, to that team, and to that lineup. And Marte, we'll see on the stolen bases, just playing it out with the injuries throughout the year. Buck Showalter's not normally the guy that really encourages it that much, even when he was with the Orioles with the Rangers in the past. So we'll see if he gets the 30, but his defense has still been good. Canna's been good. Eduardo Escobar's been kind of up and down, but still better. Really, the only spot that they have been lacking is the catching position with them. They might get James McCann back soon as well, and they have Francisco Alvarez reigning the wings in the second half of the season potentially be called up. Brandon Nimmo has had a pretty good season offensively. He hasn't been hitting the ball the last couple of weeks, but he has been an unbelievable shutdown defender at the center field position. To me, he's the gold glove for winning right now in all of baseball at the center field position. He's been sensational. And Jeff McNeil, I don't know what happened to him last year, but he leads the team at 327. He's amongst the league's top five batting averages. So he's been sensational too. So if you're a Met fan, everything stands out to this team and what this team is all about. And that's winning. So Steve Cohen, who looks like he'll open up his pockets at the trade deadline, I expect him to add a pitcher, maybe some bullpen help, and maybe an offensive player they can do with another offensive player in that lineup. I think they've been sensational, Speedy. If you're a Met fan, you can't say anything bad about this team, but you expect them to even be better when Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer comes back into that rotation. Yeah, and they're going to be able to just play it out and these guys back, too. They don't have to rush DeGrom. Scherzer's going to come back next week, but they can play the injuries a lot better than they've done before. McNeil just went out on Monday, but they don't have to rush these guys back because they have so much depth. It's weird to say that as a Mets fan. It is insane how well they've been able to manage the injuries, manage this team very, very well. The bullpen is the only thing that isn't super deep, but even that's getting better as the season's gone along. As far as this Manny Ramirez situation, I've been saying this for a long time. On this show, the Sports Loudmouths, my other shows, Below the Mic and Down to the Wire, I have spoken so much about Derek Jeter and what he was as a player throughout his career with the New York Yankees. And I am a Yankee fan. I am not a hater to any of the Yankees. I never thought Derek Jeter was one of the greatest shortstops of all time. Now, his numbers would show that he was. He also played with some of the greatest teams the Yankees have ever had. Some of the best lineups and more depth of lineups that the Yankees have had over the hundred years they've been existing. Derek Jeter has always been said to be overrated at his position. And Manny Ramirez came out recently. He was interviewed by numerous amount of papers and magazines, and they asked him about Derek Jeter, and he came out and said, Derek Jeter would have just been an ordinary, regular player if he wasn't playing for the Yankees. And I believe that to be true. If he went to Kansas City, Texas, or even the Rays at the time, the Rays weren't good. Derek Jeter might have not had over 3,000 hits. Derek Jeter might have not been the face of baseball as long as he was. Derek Jeter might not be one of the richest baseball players of our era if he didn't play for the Yankees with the endorsements that he got. So is Manny right about what he said about Derek Jeter as far as if he didn't play for the Yankees, if he did or he didn't? I think Manny Ramirez is absolutely right. But I could say the same about Manny Ramirez. Manny Ramirez, if he wasn't a Boston Red Sox or if he wasn't doing steroids, Manny Ramirez wouldn't have been Manny Ramirez. How's that sound, Manny? David Ortiz, who came from the Twins, would have never been David Ortiz if he didn't go to the Red Sox. So for ex-Red Sox to come out and attack Derek Jeter, I don't disagree with them. Because I think Derek Jeter is one of the more overrated Yankees of all time. Some people put Derek Jeter amongst the Yankees' bests. Babe Ruth, Luke Garrick, Joe DiMaggio, Mickey Mantle, Yogi Berra. 
or other players we can name over the past that I believe were better than him. The fact is, he wasn't even the best player of his era on the Yankees. Mariano Rivera was. The fact is, he did break the hit record for shortstops. He was one of the greatest shortstops of all time. So to bring up Derek Jeter and what he shouldn't have been, because if he was a Yankee or not a Yankee, nobody cares. But I've been saying that for years, that Derek Jeter is one of the more overrated players of our era. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we'll get into a little football. We'll get into the whole Deshaun Watson situation. We'll get into the Baker Mayfield situation and Gronkowski retiring and some crunch time here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host. Speedy, Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's been a great show having one of the best, one of my favorites, Tim Alcorn joining us, the play-by-play broadcaster for the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Cleveland Guardians. We're very happy to have him on the show again. We did not have Moneyline Mania this week because Chaz has been very, very sick. Hopefully he gets better and we'll have him on next week. Shout out to him and his family. All our prayers go out to him and hopefully he's okay. Before we get into crunch time, I want to get into a little bit of football. First, I want to get into Rob Gronkowski. Rob Kronkowski over the week has announced his retirement not once, not twice, but a third time. One of the greatest tight ends of all time. One of the greatest tight ends of our era. Fantastic player. Played with arguably the greatest quarterback to ever play the game. Arguably the greatest coach that ever coached in this game. So Gronkowski's personality really shined. Not just his game on the field, but what he did on and off the field. He was a fantastic personality and something that we'll always miss. Hopefully we don't see him come back and try to win another Super Bowl with Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They'll never be a player of his personality and stature of his size ever we'll ever see in the NFL again. I think so, too, because the way the speed tight end is really coming into the league now, I don't think you'll ever see somebody that big, that dominant, be used as a receiver the way he is, for sure. In terms of all-time, I am third all-time. I think still I would take Tony Gonzalez and Antonio Gates, but he's arguably the best blocking tight end of all time, if you want to judge that. Now I want to get into the Deshaun Watson situation. I think that Deshaun Watson is a two-point topic. I'll tell you why. One for Baker Mayfield and the other for Deshaun Watson. First, with Deshaun Watson, he settles with 20 different women. I believe a lot of these allegations are false and not true. I think a lot of these ladies are looking for a payday. Now, I'm not saying that all of them are not true. I believe some of them are. Deshaun has admitted he slept with one of them, and he got other things from two other girls. So he's admitted to doing false things that he shouldn't be doing with his massage therapist. But I believe that these 20 other women, he's settling with them because he wants to move on with his career. He wants to play football and he wants to get this out of the way. He made a lot of money in the offseason. He's the highest paid guaranteed quarterback in NFL history and he just wants to play ball. So I believe the settlement, that was the reason why he decided to not go to court and deal with the other 20 different women that he was going to deal with through the court system. I think he'll still end up getting suspended a lot of games just the way that this is going. That doesn't matter. That's not what we're talking about. I know. But he is settling because he wants to move on. Yeah. And I don't know how much games he's going to miss. He's missed almost a year. And right now, 
everything what we've heard of Roger Goodell, he has not been accused of anything. He's not going to criminal jail. He's not going to be indicted criminally. So how much time is he going to miss? I'm so. thinking it's going to be like a 10 game. I don't think he'll get the whole season just because of some of the settlements. I think they ended up helping in that regard, but I think he'll still get a lot of time just based on how much came out and still how much information we don't know about these other 66 things and all the other social media stuff we heard about as well. And the Texans now could be in a lot of trouble too, helping him use the facilities. Mm-hmm. And then there's Baker Mayfield, who we've been talking about could possibly go to Carolina. He could possibly go to Atlanta, which that doesn't seem like it's going to happen no. because Atlanta's going to probably look towards next year's draft because there's a ton of good young quarterbacks that are coming out of next year's class. It seems like it's almost a done deal as far as what we've heard that Baker is going to Seattle. They're right now in the process of negotiating a long-term deal. Sources are telling us there's no guarantees to that but I'm not going to be surprised if Baker Mayfield speedy goes to Seattle. I wouldn't be surprised either at this point, just because we've seen the Seahawks be very desperate. I don't think they should trade for him, but I've seen them see try to be desperate in order to keep that identity going. They're still drafting to win now. They're still drafting a lot of running backs, a lot of they draft positions. across, yeah. so bringing and cross, him in. Yeah, so they're still trying to at least maybe hold on to this offense, the last chance they have to keep Metcalf, to keep Lockett, whatever that ends up being the case. Again, they should try to not tank necessarily, but play badly to get another quarterback next year because there's a lot of good talent, but I feel like they are going to go forward with this and hold on to maybe Pete Carroll's potential last season as well. All right, Speedy, let's get into it. It is time for Crunch Time! It's time for Crunch Time! Buy or sell, the Avalanche will finish off this series in game number six. I'm going to buy it! I think the Avalanche is the better team. They have proven to be the more explosive team with McCarr and McKinnon have been fantastic. Landon Skog has been one of the best players throughout the playoffs, so yes, I'll buy it. I'm going to sell it. I'll stick to Avalanche in seven. I think the Lightning benefit in a shorter series, so I do think if they get it game six, and then I think they'll get worn out, especially if it goes to overtime again, because I don't know how much that older team can take, so I am going to sell it. All right, buy or sell. KD will force his way out if Kyrie is traded. I'm going to sell it. I think KD is there for the long haul. I think even if Kyrie leaves, uh, it's his team. The Nets will try to make him happy and get some players to play beside him. So I'm going to sell it. I'm going to sell it too. I mentioned I'm predicting I think Kyrie Irving will be traded to the Clippers. That means I think they'll get some young players back and some draft picks that they could use to make a trade. If KD wants somebody else there, another star they can make a trade for. So I'm going to sell it as well. All right, buy or sell. Browns will get only a day three pick, a fourth round pick or smaller for Baker Mayfield. I'm going to buy that because Baker Mayfield is coming off an injury with his shoulder. And really, the Cleveland Browns don't want him. So they're either going to release him or they're going to trade him. And that's why teams know that they're willing to get rid of him in his contract and they're not going to extend him. So they're going to try to get it as much as they can back for him. So I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy it too. I think it's no more than a fourth round pick. Seattle might try to leapfrog Carolina by doing a fourth round pick or a fifth round pick vice versa, but I can't see it getting any higher than that. Carolina and Seattle not in the state to do that. All right, buy or sell. Max Scherzer will pitch at least six innings in his first start back. I'm going to to buy it. Max Scherzer is a workhorse. He's one of those guys that you believe that would do that. He believes in himself and he's not going to be called off the mound, especially when he's only pitched 75, 80 pitches. Jacob DeGrom different because he's been out for a significant amount of time. Max Scherzer, I can't see it. So I'm going to buy that. I think a lot of it depends on the opponent because the Astros are two games. They're a very good offensive team.
team, but being the likelihood of it being either the Marlins or the Rangers too, I'll buy it as well. I think it's more likely against a weaker offense that'll allow him to ease it back in. I'd be more concerned about DeGrom with that kind of thing, but Scherzer, definitely a workhorse. I'll buy it. All right, buy or sell. The Knicks will end up with Jalen Brunson. I'm going to buy it. I mean, they brought his father in. Leon Rose is hiding. He's opened up the wallets of the New York Knicks and James Dolan trading Kevin Walker's contract to Detroit shows you that they're probably after Jalen Brunson, so I'm going to buy it. Yeah, I'm going to buy it, too. I think this is a team that's lacked a point guard forever. I think that it's the best chance they have to get a young one, a guy that's healthy, a guy that they can trust to be an upside-type guy, not a veteran reach like we've seen in other instances, so I am going to buy it. All right, buy or sell. Either the Mets or the Yankees will trade for Luis Castillo. I'm going to buy it. I think the Mets and the Yankees are looking for another pitcher. I think there's a better chance for the Yankees to get him because I don't know if they're going to bring Luis Savarino back. And Castilla is still under contract with his rookie contract. So I think it makes more sense for the Yankees than Mets. So I do believe one of those teams are. So I'm going to buy it. I'm going to sell it. I think the old regime might have for the Mets. I don't think the new regime will. And I think the Yankees, they try to do a lot more of the smarter trades. I think you'll see them trade for a gem, like you were saying in the offseason with guys like Trevino and a lot of the pitchers they've rebirthed in that bullpen. I don't think you're going to see a big flash name go there. I think that's more of a West Coast Dodgers Giants, one of those types of trades. We'll definitely make that kind of thing work. So I don't think it'll be New York. I will sell it. All right, buy or sell. Barry Trotz will not coach for at least this season. It looks like that could happen. So I'm going to buy that. I really thought he was going to Philadelphia. Then I've been here in Boston. But right now, Boston is sitting on it. I don't know if they're making the move. And I don't know about Winnipeg, even though a lot of people think he, he would go back to his hometown. Barry Trotz could sit right now and sit pretty. He still has the contract with the New York Islanders. He still has one more year left on his contract. So I'm going to buy it. I'm going to sell it. I still think he'll end up eventually being Winnipeg's coach. I think the money is just the main issue right now with that. He rejected a $7 million a year contract from the Flyers. But I do think there are other teams that might be able to up it. Not necessarily to that point, but close enough where they can still get it. And I do think there are other teams that want it. But I just don't think you want to coach the Flyers, so I am going to sell it. All right, buy or sell. The rookie of the year this year will be somebody that is not a top five pick, so not Bonchero, Ivy, Keegan Murray, Chet Holmgren, or Jabari Smith. I'm going to sell that. I think one of those guys, I think Smith, I think Ivy, one of those guys are going to be the best player in this year's draft. I expect one of those top five guys to be the rookie of the year. So I am going to sell it. Yeah, I'm going to sell it too. I, I think there's a chance for somebody like Ochea Bai for the Cavaliers. The Pacers drafting Mathurin maybe has a shot. But I, I think right now those players are just so dominant and are going to get instant impact roles. I think Jabari Smith would be my pick in order to do it. I think Bonchero is the best player, but I just don't trust the magic coaching to make it work. I like him and Jalen Green to make a good play. For I'm going to pick Jabari Smith, so I am going to sell it. All right, last one. Gronk will unretire again at some point during the season. I buy it. All Tom Brady has to do, if there's an injury at the tight end position or they lose a big-time wide receiver and they need a guy that can get into the red zone, score touchdowns, and block for Tom Brady if that offensive line ever gets hurt. I could see it happen. I'm going to buy it, buy it, buy it. Absolutely, I'm buying this one, too. It'll be like week 10, week 11, something like that late in the season where he's not going to have to play the whole season. But there's two reasons I think it's going to happen, one of which Chris Godwin's injury. How much will that affect the Buccaneers? I think they'll still be fine to win the division, but in terms of getting a higher seed. And also the running game is very questionable. They're, they're going to need him to block. Not that their offensive line is bad, but they're going to need that help, that extra leverage in order to get that running game going because there's no guarantee Leonard Fournette goes back there, and they got a lot of rookies that are more scat back types and I do believe he has still a desire to play football even with the injuries and the Bucks have done a good job managing that. I don't trust Todd Bowles so I don't know I didn't say I trust the Todd Bowles either but I do think they manage the injuries well with him since he's come over there in the last three years so I am going to buy that he makes a return week 10 something like that late in the season and for the playoffs 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was our show. I'd like to thank Tim Alcorn for joining us, the Cavaliers radio play-by-play broadcaster. Fantastic, fantastic interview. If you haven't checked it out, check our interview out with Timmy on our website, or you can go check out our app on iOS, WWSR, and our Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Shout out to Chad. He was in the hospital. Hopefully he's better. We'll have Moneyline Mania back probably next week. Wes and the crew, they were not on this week. They'll be back next week for sure. So shout out to Chaz. Hopefully he feels better. Hopefully it's going to be a great week when it comes to sports. The NHL playoffs will probably be over by then and everything. College football around the corner. Baseball with the All-Star break coming up. And we'll be talking about OTAs in football really, really soon. So I'm looking forward to it. Summer could go really, really fast. It's been pretty cool. So I'm happy as a Long Islander. Hopefully everybody enjoys the show. Keep listening to us. We'll be back next week, as always, as me and Speedy P to give you the best in sports conversation and sports talk here on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network.